Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. the thing on is this thing on yeah it's uh, um yes okay yes welcome to dark poutine i'm mike brown creator and host with me as usual is my good friend and co-host scott hammonway say hello scott hello all the beautiful people listening beautiful people hello to all the beautiful people listening the beautiful people the beautiful people the beautiful people the beautiful people we did that we did it. It, it, worked, it worked out pretty well. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Om nom nom. Om nom 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 nom. Episode 87. Whew! I graduated from high school in 87. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I was 92. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that's because I'm old. This is, a, this is a very sad topic. <laughs> Graduating from high school? Yeah, thanks for bringing... Did you actually graduate from high school? What What kind of a question just, is that? Wow. I'm just being a turd. No, no, I didn't. You did? No, I did. Yes, of course. You didn't have to go back and get your uh, GED, or as Malcolm calls it, your good enough diploma? <laughs> I had to go back a year later to uh, get some extra credits, Ah, but uh, not not a GED. No. Good enough degree. <laughs> good enough degree, yep. On with the show. Uh, this week takes us back to my home province, Nova Scotia. And this is the story of the murder of Amber Kerwin, who disappeared after leaving a New Glasgow pool hall in 2011. Oh, okay. Interesting. There's a New Glasgow? Yes. So New Glasgow was founded in 1776. It has a population of around 10,000 in the town itself Mm. and 34,000 in the outlying areas. Okay. It's in Pictou County, just off the Northumberland Strait, so you can pretty much look across and see PEI there. Okay. And the town was settled by, surprise, Scottish immigrants in the late 18th and early 19th century, which is where it's got its name. My peoples, my peoples. Your peeps. An abundance of coal deposits and its proximity to the ocean transport helped it to grow initially. 
Its current economy is dependent on the Michelin Tire Plant nearby Granton, mm. like the one in Bridgewater kind mm. of thing. Okay. The Northern Pulp Mill in Abercrombie, and as well, the local hospital helps okay. to employ a lot of people. Some decent employment around there? Correct. Sweet. One of New Glasgow's most well-known sons is Mike Smith from nearby Thorburn, better known as... Bubbles. From the cult TV show Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Oh, one of the best... I haven't I haven't watched it in a long time, but my God! You know, a dope trailer is no place for a kitty. <laughs> Look, Ricky, <laughs> I think I got a leech onto my bird. Oh, oh it's a fucking Sam Squanch, Ricky. <laughs> the Green Bastards is one of my. Favorite. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, go look at some Trailer Park Boys. You'll you'll probably enjoy it. Oh, you're, it probably change your life. It may. I think so. It'll change. It, it's a it's a game changer. It will give you sort of an inside look at some of the subculture around Nova Scotia. Yeah. Well, it's not a sub, that's not a subculture I've experienced other than Trailer Park Boys, but it makes me want to. It, I definitely experienced that subculture. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. On the evening of Saturday, October 8, 2011, Thanksgiving weekend, Amber Kerwin, 19, and her boyfriend, Mason Campbell, hosted a party that was attended by a few of their friends. The pair had moved in together in July of 2011, and by all accounts, they were in love. Campbell said that they were not just a couple, they were best friends as well. They were high school sweethearts who'd been together for about four years. Mm -hmm. Amber and a few of her friends decided to take the party elsewhere. Mason chose to stay behind. Amber and her friends were off to a popular local spot, Dooley's Billiard Room, at 60 Archimedes Street in downtown New Glasgow. And Dooley's is kind of a chain of billiard outfits and bars back in Nova Scotia. They had a Dooley's in my hometown for a while. I do love me some pool. I haven't played it in a while, but I really do enjoy pool. Yeah, my buddy Mike was quite a pool shark, and we used to play at the Dooley's in my hometown. Oh, really? He had a lot of trophies, actually. Wow. When Amber was ready to come home around 1.30 a.m., she called Mason with a friend's cell phone to come and get her. She'd forgotten her own cell phone at home. Mm. Mason was drunk, high, and driving illegally with no insurance or registration. Quite the trifecta there. Yeah, so he figured that he'd be better off picking up Amber somewhere else nearby rather than at the bar, which typically had New Glasgow's finest parked just outside as the bar closed. Or, you know, or get a cab I'm just saying for those out there but yes yeah. don't drink and drive yeah Mason told Amber he'd meet her around the corner from the bar at Big Al's convenience store just a four minute walk along uh, Provost Street surveillance video from Dooley shows Amber walking north on Archimedes Street there was in fact a police car on her left out front of Dooley's watching the bar patrons leaving as they do they want to make sure that everybody gets out safely and nobody drinks and drives well good on those uh new glasgow police yeah new glasgow authority there you go amber crosses george street and disappears from view along archimedes a car can be seen turning onto archimedes moments after heading in the same direction as amber had been oh that's ominous The strip of Archimedes has a wooded area on the right with sparse lighting and a few residences or businesses as it arcs to join Provo Street at a fork about 100 meters later. 
Big Al's is another 100 meters or so down the street from the fork. So it's like a really quick so, walk. But but I'm gathering just by the nature of population, the size of the city, yeah, not... It, it's fairly rural. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's... It's a small town and it's dark. Yes. So yeah. it's not like walking around in a big city. At no, night. there's not a lot of people. You're yeah. probably going to be the only person on the street. Yeah. Maybe one or two. Right, gotcha. According to Mason... Amber never arrived at Big Al's where he was waiting close by. Although Big Al's had been closed since 11 p.m. that night, the security cameras were still recording. The video showed Mason's car there idling, but only for a minute and 40 seconds before the car drove off. No one entered or exited the vehicle. There was no sign of Amber on the surveillance video from Big Al's or anywhere else after the Grainy Dooley's video. But this is a very short time to wait. Yeah. If you're waiting for somebody, a minute and a half is not like you're, that's pretty much nothing. Yep. That is a very so that's, short time. That's very interesting. Okay. Amber's friend, Maggie Chickness, who'd been at Dooley's uh, with Amber, mm-hmm. told the Pictou County News that Amber had only had one drink that night and seemed happy. From the Pictou News article, quote, We are standing outside Dooley's in a group and we're getting ready to leave. She said she was going to go meet her boyfriend at Big Al's. We told her we would walk up with her and get our cab from there, but she said not to worry, she would be fine. She'd probably done the walk before. Um, Yeah, totally. Maggie said she didn't give it another thought until Mason was texting her later, upset that Amber hadn't met him at Big Al's. In that minute and a half. Yes. After driving around looking for Amber with no luck and a few frantic phone calls with friends and family, Mason drove home and went to bed at about 4 a.m. on October 9, 2011. Mm. He had two cell phones, Amber's and his, and the landline phone by the bed, waiting for a call from Amber. None came. okay. Her family reported her missing around 5 p.m. on Sunday, October 9th. She hadn't shown up for dinner. Okay. Amber, usually chatty on social media and text, was not returning messages to anyone. Incredibly, in what would have been a walk of just over 200 meters, Amber Kerwin had vanished into thin air. And, you know, it, it, when you hear, like, usually on social media and chatty and this and that, it can, it's easy to kind of be dismissive about that, but we all, we all know people quite well, especially family members. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy to identify when, um, a behavioral pattern shifts because it's yeah. not not an extreme amount of time that yeah. has passed, but you can really tell when uh, something just seems off. Yep. Uh, Mason Campbell was questioned by police for about four hours in the early hours after Amber's disappearance. Naturally. Yeah. As police began searching for Amber, they also talked to known sex offenders and recently paroled violent offenders living in the area. No one claimed any knowledge of Amber's whereabouts. Yeah. Areas of focus were the usual spots, wooded areas, riverbanks, and abandoned buildings. The large Tibbetts paint factory in Trenton, just two kilometers up the road from Big Al's, was scoured by police Mm. and with dogs and everything. It had been a place known for nefarious activity and even urban exploration, which both of us kind of dig. Yeah, very. Uh, Ever since it had been closed down and abandoned years prior, it was scheduled for demolition November of that year, so a month after all this happened. Yep. So the cops think maybe there's something in there that they should see, but they found nothing. Nothing, eh? Yeah. A missing persons flyer was released, 
along with a photograph of the pretty 19-year-old. The missing poster read that Amber Kerwin was last seen wearing a blue and black shirt and flat black shoes. She was roughly 5 foot 1 inches tall and weighed around 130 pounds. Amber had brown hair, hazel eyes, and two tattoos, a dragonfly on her back and a star on her right foot. The poster was everywhere in Pictou County and even the rest of Nova Scotia, on walls and telephone poles. Even some large windows in local homes and businesses were plastered over with Amber's missing poster. I love how quickly everybody is acting mm-hmm. on this. Police and, and everybody. like they're, uh, Well, it's unusual for someone to go missing like this. Well, and, it's, and a small town uh, has uh, perks, but it also has uh, negatives when it comes to small town... Gossip. And- well, and, and, but small town... Uh, a policing, be, one of the benefits, though, is there's usually not a hell of a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And so although you don't have a lot of uh, police, you can really sink your teeth into something large when it happens and, and, and focus your energies there. It was like that in Bridgewater. A lot of the yeah. cops usually knew who they had to look at. Yeah, well, exactly. And some of the more other benefits of uh, small town. Yeah. As is common in small towns, even people who don't know someone will typically join in searches for them. Yeah. Uh, even though it was Thanksgiving, many came out to support the search for Amber, including her boyfriend, Mason Campbell. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood that Amber lived in with Mason was 10 kilometers away. It's called Picto Landing. That was the early focus. Okay. Police divers and Zodiac rescue boats, even some kayaks, scoured the East River and the waters near Big Gut Bridge. And apparently Big Gut Bridge is... Uh, one of those ones that people may take a header off every once in a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So somebody may want to go swimming or may want to hurt themselves. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Facebook groups were created, ballooning quickly to over 8,000 members, asking folks to call Crime Stoppers with any information helping in bringing Amber home. Someone had to know something. Mm -hmm. The rumors, of course, were flying. Many posts pointed their assumptive fingers right at Mason Campbell. Which is, again, understandable. I mean, that is the typical go-to yeah. for crimes of this nature. And that's the thing that the police will probably investigate first, which is why yes. their focus is probably near their home at, yes. in Picto Landing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and he was probably uh, grilled more than once by the police about this situation. Oh, I'm sure for the first while anyways, he was the primary Yep. Uh, focus of, of uh, police interrogation and yeah, investigation. Yeah. He may have even been under some surveillance. We don't yep. know. Uh, Mason told CTV News, quote, that's the last thing I want to hear going around that doesn't help any bit of this situation. You know, I love her with all my heart. I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. When she's turned up, I will spend every single day of my life with her. So I know a lot of people will clue into the speaking of her in the past tense. Well, he's saying when she's turned up. But, that you know, he says that afterwards. You know, I loved her with all my heart. I was yeah. going to spend the rest of my, was going to. And so, uh, and then. We'll see if that means anything at all. Yeah, well, I mean, because in the same vein, you don't have to be a genius to recognize when somebody has just vanished like this that, yeah, something bad's likely happened. Right. And 
uh, you're f- exhausted, mm-hmm. uh, fatigue, stress. Like, yeah, so it, it is also an easy slip of the tongue. Mason's car was also seized early on with hope of finding some clues. Cops found nothing in his car. Over the next week, a wall of hope was set up by well-wishers near Dooley's, where mm-hmm. Amber was last seen, and many people dropped off cards, pictures, posters, flowers, and teddy bears, all hoping for Amber's safe return. Yeah. During the first week of the search, uh, groups of locals took part in candlelight vigils, and more than a hundred of them congregated downtown that Saturday, marking a week since Amber's disappearance to form a human ribbon in her honor. Oh, wow. RCMP were involved as well by now, lending their helicopter to the search, as well as ground officers and canine units. A $5,000 reward was being offered for Amber's safe return. Police were still calling the disappearance a missing persons case at this point. Yeah. Some believed Amber had run off with somebody and maybe even gone to Halifax. Mm, Okay. Posters blanketed that city as well, but no one had seen Amber there. Mason and other friends and family didn't believe that Amber had just vanished. She was not the type of person who would just drop everyone and not call or message in some way. Mm -hmm. She was protective of her younger brother in particular, texting him multiple times a day, but she'd even stopped that since the night of her disappearance. Yeah, again, it's uh, when you're close to somebody, you can notice these um, pretty large... Deviances in pattern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Deep deviances. (laughs) The chatter that Amber was being held somewhere against her will started to emerge, Mm. as well as the more morbid assumptions that Amber Kerwin had been murdered. But police remained tight-lipped. Well, yeah, the odds are... Well, no, I'm not even going to say that. Yeah, you don't don't want to go there. What they were not telling the public at the time is that on October 14th, three days after Amber's disappearance, some of her belongings had been discovered next Mm -hmm. to a logging road in Heathbell, Nova Scotia. And Heathbell is a small rural community, a 23-kilometer drive west, Mm. past the town of Picto. So, Mm. what cops discovered was disturbing. A local woman and her common-law husband found what police believed to be Amber's torn black leggings and a pair of earrings that Amber had recently obtained in some nearby brush. Apparently, they were hanging from a tree. Okay, yeah, that's that's absolutely not a good sign. 23 kilometers isn't incredibly far, but it's still a good chunk of distance. Yeah, in know? Nova Scotia, that's, a, that's quite a way. Is it, eh? Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a town or two over, right? So, okay. For obvious reasons, police began focusing their efforts closer to Heathbell. They also held this evidence close to their vest. They didn't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They searched the wooded area and part of the property where the clothing was found on the north side of Heathbell Road for over 30 hours, but they didn't find anything oh, else. Oh, man, I, I, you would think that I would have been thinking they would have. It must have been a disappointment for them, too. For sure. Like, you f- you find some things that are very obvious evidence. Yeah, you're, you're hoping that maybe you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, these are things that uh, folks knew that she had. Yeah, earrings specifically. Yep. Yeah, you, that's something you can really... Prior to the discovery of this evidence, police had spoken to a Heathbell man regarding Amber's disappearance. Christopher Alexander Faulkner... 27, was on parole at the time. Faulkner had been evasive, 
but there was no evidence to hold him at the time. Mm. Now that this evidence had been found so close to residents that Falconer was connected with, they gave him another hard look. So I guess he's probably one of those names that they immediately, when this happened, were like, oh, this is somebody we know of. Yes, and you'll see why they know of him uh, here oh, okay, in a bit. okay. On October 26, 2011, police interviewed Faulkner and taped the conversation from an article in the Pictou County Advocate. Quote, when he was asked if he had anything to do with the disappearance of Kerwin, he replied, no, I did not. When asked why they should believe him, Faulkner said, I didn't do it. It's not my thing. Kidnapping's not my thing. I'm trying to stay away from the past. I'm trying to straighten up. I just like sitting home and having a beer, end quote. The investigator asked, quote, What's not your thing? Going to the bar is not your thing? You mentioned kidnapping. And Faulkner said, Going to the bars and taking girls home. I've never had a one-night stand. It's not my thing. End quote. Okay, that's pretty specific. He mentioned kidnapping before the police yeah. did. Yeah. Faulkner did not have any verifiable alibi for his whereabouts on Thanksgiving weekend either. He was asked why he thought they were talking to him, and Faulkner was frustrated, but not surprised that he'd been brought in. He said, I know it's just 12 years ago. I'm always suspected by association. Okay. And here's where we should tell you a little more about Christopher Alexander Faulkner. Yes, please. Why was he on parole, you ask? What had he done 12 years ago? Exactly. When Faulkner was 15 years old, he and a friend... Fraser Wilson Kennedy were arrested and charged and convicted in adult court for the murder of 53-year-old taxi what? driver Robert Gerald LeBlanc in Pictou, Nova Scotia. So at 15, he was convicted of murder. Yes. Well in now. In adult court. Well now. On July 2nd, 1998, the pair robbed LeBlanc, a father of three, of $65 and a pack of smokes. Oh, They strangled him with a wire, beat him with a hammer, and stuffed his body in the trunk of his own taxi, and then went joyriding. They soon tired of doing that and dropped the car off. The older man had just picked them up as a fare only minutes before the robbery and murder. So he's just doing his job. This is the shit. For $65 and a pack of cigarettes, a man's life is gone. A father of three. Gone. Gone, and then you go for a goddamn joyride with his with the body and the trunk in the trunk. Yeah. Oh, Falconer and Kennedy abandoned the cab and went to the home of a girlfriend where they played pool. <clears throat> After they were arrested, they were charged with murder, and both these young men's cases were elevated to adult court where they were tried. Yeah, they both pleaded guilty to second degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for seven years. And this is the maximum allowed in the youth offender cases we've talked about before. So tried in adult court, but sentenced sentenced as juveniles? Nope, they were sentenced as adults, but as juveniles, seven years is the maximum uh, allowed before they're allowed to apply for parole. Okay. So they're still sentenced to life. Which, as a juvenile, you were you would only be sentenced to three years, tops. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes, it's crazy. Kennedy, Faulkner's partner, applied for parole in 2004 and 2006, and he was denied both times. He was deemed to be a two out of five on the recidivism checklist, 
and in the board's opinion, would be likely to commit another indictable offense. So, uh, so I guess the higher the number, then the, the higher the better. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so if, he he's pretty much at the bottom. Right. One away from. Yeah, he's not doing so well. No. Falconer, who'd been transferred to adult prison early as he quote posed a risk to other inmates in the youth facility, was given full parole in May of 2011, just months before Amber Kerwin would disappear. Jeez. Right? So he's only out for a few months. Yes. This is October that we're looking for her. Okay, yeah, I get why the police are interested in him. So the parole board said that Falconer had participated in programs and was gradually being reintegrated, quote, with escorted temporary absences, work releases, and unescorted temporary absences, end quote. He also showed that, quote, a change in attitude began to surface. Your good institutional conduct and evidence of change earned you access to the community, end quote. Wait a minute, something just dawned on me. What? So he spent most of his adult life in prison. Yes. And his one of his excuses is, I've never had a one-night stand. Well, yeah, you're in prison. I don't think you. it's not that easy to have one-night stands in prison, I'm thinking. Well, he's been out since. For a couple months. Yeah. He makes it sound like in his history of this long life that I've lived, I haven't, you know, I haven't ever had a one-night stand. Yeah. Whilst yeah. in prison. Yes. Well, maybe he had a relationship in prison. We don't know. That's not a one-night stand. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. The team responsible for tracking Faulkner's progress in the system felt that he'd been successfully rehabilitated and with ongoing psychological counseling, he'd do well in release. Mm. Report said, quote, you have secured independent accommodations and will be expected to maintain employment. At this juncture, you have completed all required programs and continue to enjoy the support of your family. With a special condition related to negative associates, your case management team believes your risk is manageable on a full parole release, end quote. How about them, Apple? See, so I, like, I'm upset at it, and I'm thinking, what a load of shit. He shouldn't have been given parole, but I, I, I do... That's why he jumped through I, the hoops. I they... do put a lot of faith, and I completely appreciate and recognize how difficult the job of, of a parole officer is. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I, I, I parole don't board, yeah. parole board, uh, parole officers, everybody involved in the parole uh, of an individual. Like, it, I know they don't take that lightly. I know they're not dismissive of it and just like, oh, whatever, let's let them out. They put a lot into it. That doesn't make it easier to digest. Right. So police redoubled their efforts in the search off Heathbell Road, where the items belonging to Amber had been discovered. On November 5th, 2011, while searching the other side of the large property, this time investigators came across a patch of soil that appeared to have been disturbed recently. Oh boy. After gridding the area off, searchers uncovered the naked body of a female buried face down, arms tied behind her back with cloth and caked in mud. Oh, shit. Investigators knew to look for distinctive tattoos, and mm. sure enough, there they were a dragonfly on her back, and a star on her right foot. Oh, God. Amber Kerwin had been found. Amber's remains were exhumed and taken for autopsy and forensic testing 
a rape kit and toxicology screening at what was then called Victoria General Hospital in Halifax. It's now called the QE2. Okay. The rest of the area nearby was scoured for other evidence, all carefully cataloged. Cause of death was determined to be homicide by way of sharp force injury. Amber had been stabbed in the upper back and neck at least 10 times. The fatal wound, though, had been through the chest, a single stab wound to the heart. Oh, this poor girl. Amber's hands also showed defensive wounds that of themselves would have been extremely painful. She had fought her attacker hard. Good. It was the worst news Amber's family could hear. They were devastated. Hmm. Amber's obituary read in part, Amber Donna Kerwin, 19, Stellarton, was born in Antigonish on August 21, 1992, to loving parents Donald Glenn and Marjorie Helen Mason Kerwin, Stellarton. Their treasured angel has joined their papa and cousin in heaven. Amber was a graduate of Northumberland Regional High School, Alma, and was currently attending NSCC Pictocampus in Stellarton. Mm. So it's Nova Scotia Community College. She was a member of Our Lady of Lourdes, Roman Catholic Church, Stellarton. Amber was employed with Proudfoot's Home Hardware in New Glasgow, where she enjoyed working with her co-workers and helping customers. Mm. Her professional goal in life was to become a nurse, and she was recently accepted into the Licensed Practical Nurse Program at the Nova Scotia Community College Pictocampus. Amber was a caring girlfriend and a loyal friend. Her family were very important to her, She never missed an opportunity to express her love. Amber will be forever remembered as Liam's Umba, mom's beautiful daughter, and dad's little girl. Holy shit, how, that's just like, oh, that poor family. She just sounds, uh, as often we talk about in the cases we cover. Just a sweet girl. Just a wonderful person, a Mm. normal 19-year-old kid wants to go on to nursing so she had that really altruistic streak in her yeah you know but you know but is to help others is gonna do things 19 year olds do you're gonna have a drink or two you're gonna experiment with things but sounds like somebody who absolutely has a great head on her shoulder and has ambitions and goals yeah and her future was snuffed out yeah by some someone dickhead Funeral services were held at 11 a.m. Saturday, November 12th in Our Lady of Lourdes Roman Catholic Church in Stellarton. With Father Bill Rankin presiding, Amber Kerwin was interred in Our Lady of Lourdes Cemetery. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Just a five-minute drive away from the makeshift gravesite was the mobile home of Alice Meyer, Christopher Faulkner's stepsister. She lived at 976 Hardwood Hill Road. A beat-up travel trailer was parked next to it. Hmm. It was time for the cops to talk to Alice and see what she had to say. Maybe she knew something, or better yet, there would be evidence that the cops could collect. Hmm. Alice and Faulkner had lost touch when they'd been incarcerated for LeBlanc's murder, but they'd become close again once Faulkner was spending time at a local halfway house. 
Now he and Alice were close. He crashed on her couch when he needed a place, or if Alice was afraid of being alone with her daughters. She'd had a violent ex, so Faulkner agreed to stay over just in case sometimes. So was he, so he was in a halfway house at this point? No, no. Or that was just in the past, like in the when past. he got released? Yeah. Okay. okay. Full parole means no halfway house. Uh, Alice had not been home on the evening October 8th and the morning of October 9th. She and her girls were out visiting friends at a cottage in nearby Caribou, just north of Picto. Hmm. Faulkner was texting her on the morning of October 9th, 2011. We got these text messages from the Picto County Advocate coverage of his later trial. At 9.25 a.m. from Faulkner, he texted, Hey girl, I was at your place last night. I got some stuff in the trailer. I'll be back to get it tonight. At 10.06, she texted him back, Kay, you can leave them, whatever it is there, if you don't have a place for them. A minute later, Faulkner shot back, Just my pipe, laptop, and things in the trailer, not the mini home. So he's talking about the travel trailer mm -hmm. next door. Mm -hmm. Alice found this odd, as the trailer was there for storage only. It was filled with stuff, and it was never used. As far as Alice knew, Faulkner had never slept in there, and it was full of junk. Faulkner would show up sometimes in the middle of the night unannounced and would be found sleeping on her couch the next morning, but she was fine with that because she felt safe with yeah, him around. Yeah, yeah. But, like I said, he'd never slept in the trailer outside. Yeah, yeah. The day, the night that she went missing. Alice texted Faulkner back at 10.09, When I go home, do you want me to take your stuff in and put it somewhere else? And again, Falkner shot back, said, No, I got to go to Dad's at 4 p.m. Thank you, though. Just letting you know is all. Chris Falkner was arrested and charged with unauthorized possession of a restricted firearm and possession of drugs after a bit of a raid. Mm. He was held pending hearing to revoke the parole he'd received on his life sentence. The same day at 4.40 p.m., Alice Meyer posted on Facebook, quote, I wish people would stop with the rumors. The media causes enough just trying to make the best story to get the sales. Life is hard enough in the Maritimes. I really don't need people making up stories. Let's just all remember Amber and wait for the real truth to come out, and then yous can say what you want. Thanks, end quote. I mean, I, she's wanting to believe her brother. Yeah, exactly. And I get that. And you're going to be protective. And, and in her defense, she had no idea what was about yeah. to be found in the travel trailer yeah. next to her home. Who would want to believe that a family member was capable of such a heinous murder? Not me. No, not me. Even if he had been to jail before for murder. The search of Alice's trailer turned up some disturbing evidence that established Amber Kerwin had, in fact, been in that camper. Oh, shit. From court documents... Strands of Amber's hair were located on the bed. Yep. There was duct tape with the mirror image of a blue ink stamp from Dooley's. So, you know, when you go in, oh, yes, you yes. get the blue ink stamp. And so there was duct tape there with the mirror I image. Guess from around, I guess from around her hand, yeah. Wrist. The, back, the yep. back, of her, back of her hand. Yep. Oh. Distinctive towels from the camper that matched the fabric used to bind Amber were found. She was found in that shallow grave. Yep, yep. Bound, but... Yep. The fabric from these towels, which had been torn into strips, were found there. Mm. Fragments of the fabric on the floor of the camper matched fabric from Amber's sweater, also found on her body. Oh. 
A Dasani water bottle was also seized, and in it there were trace amounts of codeine and acetaminophen. Amber Kerwin's blood toxicology test revealed a quantity of codeine, acetaminophen, and caffeine consistent with having taken Tylenol 3s. Christopher Faulkner was known to be a user of Tylenol 3s. Okay. The level of codeine in Amber's blood was 10 to 100 times higher than the regular therapeutic range, and the codeine was in the body long enough to begin to break down. There were no pill pieces found in Amber's stomach contents, which means it either broke down before her death or yeah. it had been crushed up and put into the water bottle. That's what I would, my, that's where my, my mind was going. Put I think Crushed so. up and put into the water bottle. Vehicles known to be used by Christopher Faulkner were also seized and gone over for evidence. According to court documents, in Faulkner's car were latex gloves, which would explain the lack of fingerprints in the travel trailer, mm-hmm. another Desani water bottle, okay. a partially used roll of duct tape matching the duct tape that had been found on Amber's yep. hands, yep. a plastic shopping bag, and in the shopping bag was more duct tape, an extra large black tank top identified as belonging to Faulkner. Tests revealed the presence of human blood on that top. Mm. DNA on the tank top matched that of Amber, Faulkner himself, and another unknown individual. Pretty damning stuff so far. Also in the car was an empty pill bottle with trace amounts of codeine, acetaminophen, and caffeine. (sighs) So again, more Tylenol-3 stuff. A vaginal swab tested positive for semen, but no DNA could be extracted as the sample had degraded with decomposition. Uh, yeah. All three vaginal swabs, as well as the rectal, vulva, and anal swabs, showed the same results, but there was still not enough to get a DNA profile. Right? A knife belonging to Faulkner was tested. There was DNA on it, but too small a sample to get any matches. They couldn't do mitochondrial DNA testing, I guess. It was much too small to, to get any kind of sample from. Much of the DNA evidence was inconclusive from the many articles that were collected. There was a hat found at the gravesite. There were other things found nearby, and all of them had DNA on them, but nothing matched, or oh. nothing uh, provided enough of a sample, I should say. Oh, how frustrating is that? Most of the evidence against Christopher Alexander Faulkner would be circumstantial, but the police were at work collecting a pile of it. Yeah. There's some pretty strong circumstantial evidence so far. Right, but it's circumstantial. Yeah, yeah. It's not like having DNA that you can test. Cell phone tower records place Falconer in the areas he'd need to have been in to commit the murder. Mm. He also stopped responding to the multiple texts he'd been receiving around the time of Amber's disappearance and didn't resume responding until early the next morning. Mm. And that was unusual for him. Yeah. One of Falconer's girlfriends told police that near the end of October, he had awakened in the middle of the night with his heart pounding. He told her that he was sick. Okay. There was more strange behavior, too. The same girlfriend saw Falconer on Facebook at one of the local library computers. When she approached asking Falconer what he was up to, he quickly closed the browser. She got angry and left. Faulkner followed her and told the woman that he'd recently tried to commit suicide using T3s. She stopped being angry and grew concerned. And so he carefully deflected that conversation. Yeah, yeah. On February 16th, 2012, 
Christopher Faulkner's parole for his 1998 murder conviction was revoked based on his possession of a restricted weapon and drugs. Although, I'm sure being the main suspect in another murder didn't help either. No, no it didn't. No. On May 17th, police brought Christopher Alexander Faulkner, a convicted killer, from his cell in Dorchester to face new charges of first-degree murder and kidnapping in the death of Amber Kerwin seven months prior. Good. Falconer was not talking, but he wasn't helping his case much in jail either. Yeah. He'd been recorded saying some rather incriminating things while on the monitored prison phone with his family and friends. Oh, wait a minute. So this guy's a moron? Aren't they all? Well, but that's that's what I'm like. Yeah. Like, go figure. He's so stupid. He's so stupid. He's not saying anything directly to police. But hang on. But you know prison phones are recorded. Yep. Among other questionable conversations, at one point Falconer can be heard on tape saying, no, but they're trying. From what they're saying, this whole thing doesn't look very good. And this was him talking to a (laughs) friend. (laughs) I was thinking I'm just going to plead guilty to everything. My dog knows that police calls... Or prison calls are But recorded. he didn't say what he had done. He I, didn't say I he know. had done anything. I know, but all you should be saying on that prison phone is, no, I have no idea. In a recorded conversation with his father, Faulkner said, in here there are a lot of rumors going around. They don't like what happened before with me and my co-accused. I haven't been told nothing by anyone. His father pleaded with Christopher not to plead guilty. Hmm. Some people figured I did it, said Faulkner. His father replied, yeah, but some people think it wasn't you. I figure they couldn't find anything in the car, otherwise I wouldn't have got it back. When it came to time to plead, Faulkner pled not guilty. He wanted to leave his fate up to the jury. On January 6, 2014, Christopher Faulkner's first-degree murder trial began. Over the first 12 days of the trial, the prosecution called witness after witness to present evidence against Faulkner. His defense team harped on the circumstantial nature of most of the evidence as the trial went on. Mm. One of the most memorable moments from the trial was Mason Campbell's testimony. Here's some audio from Global News from that day. For the second day in a row, Mason Campbell was in front of a packed courtroom, testifying in the murder trial of his girlfriend, Amber Kerwin. He did his best to... Uh, to tell the jury his experience uh, when Amber went missing and his efforts to find her. and Campbell says he told Amber to meet him at Big Al's convenience store instead of the bar because he was drunk, high, and driving illegally. Kerwin wasn't there when he arrived, so Campbell drove a friend home, came back to the meeting spot, waited for just one minute, and went home. He testified it was out of character for her not to come home, but he watched TV, played guitar, and fell asleep. The next day is when he started to realize something was wrong. When asked why he never informed Amber's parents, Donald and Marjorie Kerwin, that Amber was missing, he said he didn't want to worry them. Under cross-examination, the defense asked if Campbell or Kerwin knew Chris Faulkner, the man charged in her murder. He testified they never met him. Taylor pressed at several inconsistencies and statements given to police by Campbell after Amber went missing, specifically about time frames. Ultimately, again, the jury's going to have to determine how important it is to to have a witness uh, repeat over and over, uh, I can't recall. Um, That can impact on how they view his evidence as a whole. 
It was also learned that a shovel and duct tape were seized from Campbell's car by police and that police repeatedly told him to stop becoming involved in the investigation. Uh, well, those are, those are just items that a, a jury might find interesting given the type of case we're dealing with. The other key witnesses today were Lisa Williams and Nathan Goodall. The couple found leggings and a pair of feathered earrings on their property in Heathfell. That site is near Faulkner's stepsister's home and the site where Kerwin's remains were found. Natasha Pace, Global News, Picto. So some interesting developments there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say. So there was uh, duct tape and a shovel shovel in the back of his car. Yeah. Yet somebody else is on trial for murder. Yeah. Fascinating, hey? The plot twist. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you just go home and play guitar after your girlfriend doesn't show up. Well, that was something right off, like what I was saying right off the bat. Wait a minute and a half? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. But and he then, drove down the road and looked for her and couldn't find her. And if you said come, uh, come pick me up, and I go to where you say come pick me up, mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait a minute and a half and start driving. I'm going to give it some time. Yeah, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and then be like, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong. So let me try calling. Oh, I can't get hold. Maybe I'm in the wrong spot. Now let me drive around. Not just be like, well, I've waited ninety seconds. What more can I do? Yeah. It very well could just be that he's like, you know, well, you know what? She told me to be here. I'm coming to pick her up. She's not here. Fuck it. I'm going like. Yeah, could have been that. Who knows the dynamics? Yeah, who knows? But it's a plot twist nonetheless. The only witness for the defense was Scott Faulkner, Christopher's father. He testified that the conversations on the tape where Christopher was talking about pleading guilty was just his son feeling hopeless as though he was being railroaded. Yeah, sure. Okay. Again, from the Pictou County Advocate, in his closing statement, Crown Attorney Bill Gorman said, quote, Fingerprints and DNA were not found in the camper, but in the Chev Impala, an open box of latex gloves were found in the trunk. Isn't it logical and reasonable in inference that he used the gloves? Asked Gorman. This evidence is a rock when you put it all together. Everything, everything, everything points to the accused. And it's the only rational conclusion, end quote. I mean, yes, there's a lot of, of circumstantial evidence. evidence. Circumstantial, but a lot of that evidence there. Yes. The jury didn't buy the thin defense. They were sold on the Crown's case against Faulkner, but it took them seven and a half hours to come back with a verdict. Yeah, it's a healthy deliberation. In the end, they found Christopher Alexander Faulkner not guilty of first-degree murder, but found him guilty of second-degree murder in the death of Amber Donna Kerwin. Oh, for a second, I thought he was just going to be not guilty. Yeah. Oh. Faulkner, now a two-time convicted murderer, was sentenced to life in prison with no eligibility of parole for 25 years. Yeah. Here's some post-trial reactions outside the courtroom, as picked up by Global News on that day. This is the last time Chris Faulkner will see the outside of a jail cell for a very long time. The 31-year-old was convicted of first-degree murder this afternoon. The jury deliberated for just seven and a half hours before giving their verdict. They obviously um, took their tasks and their duties very seriously and um, arrived at what we believe is the correct result. He's disappointed, obviously. Um, uh, I I think he was thinking that... um, there was a a decent chance of an acquittal because of the time they were taking. 
Faulkner's father, Scott, and stepmother, Sue Kelly, were inside to hear the verdict. But Faulkner's grandfather, who never missed a day in the trial, showed up a few minutes late and had to hear the news from his son. Flint Bonvi and his wife have been at the trial almost every day watching the proceedings. We're happy for the family, the Kerwin family. We've been following this for the, the past few years, and we're very happy that justice has been served. Marjorie Kerwin began crying as soon as the guilty verdict was read inside the courtroom. Are you guys pleased with the verdict? Very. This is a, a tragedy that I don't think they'll ever get past. Oof. So there you go. He's going back to jail. Mm -hmm. 25 years before parole. Before he can apply for, for parole. Apply for parole, yeah. yes. Because... He was convicted of murder once before, so. I'm curious on the second degree murder. Is that just because the the jury didn't feel confident enough that like, there was question. no DNA or or? That's a great finger, question. Yeah. The difference between first and second degree murder is that there was pre-planning to murder somebody. But, I mean, with the duct tape, you could say, yeah, he had pre-planned kidnapping, but not necessarily pre-planned murder. I know it's kind of thin, but yeah, that's that, I, yeah, that's a good point. Um, he did murder during the commission of a, an offense, but that was hard to prove too. Yeah, because there was no DNA uh, profiles able to be obtained from the swabs, and, and they can't. I guess it's they can't prove that he kidnapped her. He, you know, they it. I'm sure even didn't. though there's duct tape and well, but that could have been he lured her and then which I which I don't believe. I'm just trying to put myself in the jury's shoes. Well, luring to, equals kidnapping too. If you get in the car and then you won't be, you're not allowed out. Well, but I'm like again, if I'm in the jury shoes and I'm trying, well, we it, it is possible that she went with him voluntarily until they got to the house and at that point he uh, subdued her. But so, yeah. what do you think about an appeal? Do you think he's going to appeal? Yeah, of course, everybody appeals. Well, representing himself, Falconer did appeal. He filed. It's uh, always great to represent yourself. He was claiming he'd received inadequate counsel, considering the circumstantial nature of the evidence presented against him, and uh, that the judge erred in his jury instructions by conflating admissions with concessions about the admissibility of certain evidence. And so what he's referring to is the taped phone conversations. Yep. What do you think happened with his appeal? I'm, I'm thinking, so representing himself, so yep. he didn't, he already thought he had insufficient lawyering. Yep. So what better way to fix that than lawyer yourself? Well, his... So appeal denied. Yeah, his appeal was thrown out. Yeah. Two years to the day of her death, the town of New Glasgow received a donation of a memorial monument oh. to Amber Kerwin placed on the Sampson Trail. Oh. On top of the monument is a dedication to all the women, men, and children who have lost their lives to a senseless tragedy. And on the front side is engraved a stone plaque with a laser-engraved photo of Amber beside the seaside. Oh. Her date of birth, August 21st, 1992, and the date of her death, October 9th, 2011. And the inscription beside it reads, Amber Kerwin, Pictou County's Angel. Oh, that is heartwarming. It's such a sad, sad case. But wow, that's, yeah. that's a beautiful gesture. A couple of points of interest about Alice Meyer's Facebook page, and this is uh, the stepsister. Yep. 
of Christopher Faulkner. In a post from 2012, a child can be seen in the company of Nova Scotia singer-songwriter Dave Gunning. And why this is important is, ironically, Gunning wrote a song about Christopher Falconer's first murder victim, cab driver Robert Gerald LeBlanc, and he called the song Taxi Phone. Whoa. Weird. Whoa. So I, I'm going to assume she didn't know I don't know. That's, that's a great question, Scott. Wow. I don't know. Meyer's account, her Facebook account, has gone quiet since the conviction of Falconer in Amber's murder, at least publicly. Her, the profile picture, though, that she's left us with is of her smiling, sitting on a picnic table in front of the travel trailer that she sold just before her stepbrother's murder trial. This was Amber Kerwin's murder scene. I'm going to try to give her the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, uh, she may have just been, her main thought may have been, well, this is my fate. Like, I look my best in this photo. And it's just about aesthetics. It's just about, um, yeah, she might she might just be thinking that I look great in front and not paying attention to, uh, but that's pretty poor taste, man. Yeah. I don't know if it's intentional. I'm. I. I want to say it's not. I. I don't want to. Uh, um. But it's weird. It, yeah. It's just. It's too weird not to mention. You would think at least like. At some point during the this time that has passed, you'd go. Yeah, that's not cool. I mean, I. I. Yeah, I should probably pull that down. But maybe she's just like, yeah, I'm done social media and just doesn't yeah, log she, in, doesn't tapped check. out. Yeah. yeah, and so that's why she's just sitting there because she's just like, no, fuck this, I don't. Because uh, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, she she was kind of the one of the star witnesses in the trial. Mm -hmm. She had to testify against her stepbrother about you know all these texts and yeah, you know, his behavior and all that kind of stuff. So, and I would imagine. She must have been inundated yep. with venom. Oh, for sure. Just from like, a small town. That's, yeah. that's kind of the way it works. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I could completely understand why somebody would be like, you know what? I'm just going to like log off here. Exactly. I'm kind of done with the whole social media yeah. thing because people are not being nice to me. So yeah. maybe she has another account somewhere and this is just uh, you the know, one. And pro and pro most likely so. Yeah. But... um. Hopefully there's not a photo of her sitting in front of the trailer on whatever else. Oh god. Well, yeah, who knows. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hypothesize she liked the photo and uh put it up there a long time ago. Shit's happened and she's just like, I'm out of this thing. There you go. Way to go, Scott. So you're you're great at that benefit of the doubt thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> She seemed, from what little we know, I mean, she seemed like a rational, reasonable, reasonable yeah. individual. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week's story. Holy crap. So, I, you know, it, it, I feel like we just covered this one uh, on Bowen Island. Kind of. You know, a di yeah, very different uh, outcome because there is an outcome. But, yeah. um, but like it's just, I, and that's why I kind of wanted to cover it because of the similarity mm -hmm. and people would start to all think, oh, it's the boyfriend right yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. I you did. Know? Yeah, I did. And surprise, there was an anonymous person who she didn't know, yep. you know, or her boyfriend. They weren't familiar with this person at all, apparently. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. 
But it's just, yeah, the, so much youth tragedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, we're looking at, there's a lot in comparison to, or, there's a lot of comparison with the two when it comes to age and innocence and also what was compelling to me was the fact that he's a two-time murderer. No kidding. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he'd, he'd already, as a young man, well, a kid really, he'd murdered a, a taxi driver with his buddy for 65 bucks and a pack of and, smokes. And it's a brutal murder. Like you, you, you strangled somebody. That and is a very- And then hit them on the head with a hammer. That is a very uh, personal way to kill. Yep. And uh, so like that- that yeah, that says a lot about his, his his character. Yeah, it's kind of tough to wrap your brain around. Yeah, very. Let's move on to some fun. All right, it's time for Patreon shoutouts, and the first one uh, came along with a message. Oh, I love messages. And it's from Tim Roberts and his wife Lindy. Oh, hi, Lindy. In the UK. And uh, they wanted to say how much they love the podcast. Okay, so anyway, there you go. Lindy! Thank you, Tim and Lindy. You know, I've known many a Lindy, but none as awesome. As this one in Devon in the UK? Exactly. Lindy. This is the best of the Lindys. Trust me, I know my Lindys. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. Um, Joey and Jesse Henu. Okay. I don't know where they're from. You don't. But Henu. Henu, yeah. It's a typical German name. Okay. But they're not German. They're not. No, they're not, which is, which complicates things. I'm just adjusting it. They're, yeah, they're. Did you just fart? No. No, I just moved my leg. Okay. Which, I mean. Might probably smelled as well, but uh, yeah, the the Henus are they're from they're Himalayan. Himalayan, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like Himalayan food. As Nepalese, you sh- yeah. as you should. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some great Nepal food, Nepalese food around. But here. they're so they're Germans who live in Himalayas. Well, it's typically a German name. Are they Sherpas? So you do know them. Oh, okay. So they're guiding people up Mount Everest. What? So, so the, no. the other side. No. Oh, okay. No, they're, they're guiding people away from Mount Everest. They're Sherpas, but they just, they Sherpa you to hotels. Oh, okay. So it's very localized Sherping. Sherpa, Sherpaing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I gotcha. But hey, a job's a job. You got to earn that scratch. Exactly. Samantha Hiltz? Yes. I don't know where she's from. She's from uh, Brisbane. Australia? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, she's from Brisbane, Australia. Yep. Have you ever, have you ever heard... Of a Hilti drill? No. So it's a it's a kind of a well, they're a manufacturer. Hilti. They make a okay, pa- yeah. They yep. make power tools and such. And this is she's an heir to that family. But fortune. it's Hilts. No, I know. They just they made the name longer for for marketing. Hilti. I got gotcha. Because it sounds more adorable, and and you want your tools to sound adorable. I don't want to go into adorable sounding tools. Mm, okay, well, I'm just saying. Trust me. Sarah Taplin from Manitoba. Hey! That's Grandview, Manitoba. Grandview? Yeah. Wow. Tasha Halderson from St. Albert, Alberta. Thank you, Tasha. That's a lot of Alberts. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> an excess of Alberts. Tia King, Tia Jenking, Tia Jenking from Matawa. Ontario. Never heard of it. 
Matawa. Never heard of it. A Matawa is actually, I think, what Carol has referred to as the name of the religious police in Saudi Arabia. Uh, oh. And they go oh. around with like a bamboo cane and they hit the ladies on the ankles who are wearing clothing that is too revealing. And so hopefully that's wow. not what's happening to Jeez. you, Tia Jenkins. Wow. Yeah. Ankle smacks. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Nick Mohar shirts. Hey, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Uh, he is a prime minister. Oh, shit. Yeah, right? Wow, Nick. So, oh. Nick, thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate having people become prime ministers. Oh, man, yeah. But guess what? What? Lydia B. Fiedler is also a PM. Holy crappers. And she's from Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. So, one's from Williamsport, Maryland. Another one from Austin, Texas. Holy crap. See, this is what Canada is about, though. You don't even have to be from Canada to be a prime minister here. That's correct. You know, like, so we, wow, thank you guys. And, I mean, Lydia's a very familiar name. We see her in the Umber Yard a lot. Damn, yippee. We as do. we do, Nick. Um, as well as this next person. Oh, yes. Liz Overheiser. She's been there for, she's an OG or I think. She's and she's from one of my favorite places to say. What's, what's that? Kalamazoo, Michigan. That is a great name. Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Kalamazing. Kalamazops. Anytime you wing. There. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Susan Latondra. She is another Yumber Yarder. Yes. But I don't know where she's from. No, you don't. No. She posts it all the time. Yep. Yeah. Where's she from? Timbuktu. Well, how about them apples? I don't think they have apples in Timbuktu. Okay, what do they have there? Guava? They have. They do have some guava. Primarily eggs that grow on trees. That's messed up. Is what you're telling me? Oh boy. Yeah. Well, so thank you, Susan. Thank I you. hope you enjoy your guava and eggs. Uh, tree eggs. <laughs> tree eggs. Yeah. Uh, Savannah Harris. Oh, I think Savannah. Yeah. Is not from Georgia. Then where else could she be? I thought everybody has to be named after the city they were born in. No, she is not from Savannah, Georgia. Oh. She is from Saskatchewan. Well, there's an S involved. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's close enough. Yep. It's close enough. Wow. And you know what she does for work? Uh, Crop dusting. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, she has a really old plane. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And does does she hang her butt off the back and toot? No, she doesn't toot. She actually well, does it's not like that kind of crop dust. No, it's like actual crops. Oh, I'm thinking just like big long fart series flying in the back oh, of the plane. It's not that kind of crop dusting. Well, That's disgusting. Because I, I, in my mind, I was thinking, shit, you can get paid for that. <laughs> you should be. Oh, I'm gonna get me a millionaire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jessica Hawker. Hey, Hawker. Yeah, Hawker. I don't know where she's from. Of course you don't. Why would you? Well. Do you know her? Uh, yes. Really well? We went to school together. Oh, dear. In, 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 in Indonesia. You've never been to Indonesia. I went to school there. What did you... Were you taking something specific in Indonesia? Yes. What? Indonesian? Math. This is... <laughs> this would explain your lack of <laughs> mathematic ability? Yeah. Well, I, I, I would think... Well, I don't want to racially profile, so I don't know. But well, guess who my math teacher was? Who? 
Jessica Hawker. Mm-hmm. Oh well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, but so thanks my, for teaching Scott how not to do math. Yeah, my my terrible. my lack of mathing is not her fault. Okay, she's a great math teacher. Numbers just break me. It's true. Phone. I consider phone numbers math. Yeah, I'm just. They're just a random assortment of numbers that will connect you to a per specific person. Their numbers. You had me at numbers. Right? right, I guess so. Yeah. And we've already mentioned that. Maria E. Parker. <laughs> and she's from Saanich. Oh. British Columbia. I'd like to eat a sandwich right now. <laughs> I'd like to eat a sandwich too. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to eat for a sandwich. Uh, how about a... I like peanut butter sandwich. Ham and mayonnaise sandwich. You can't have peanut butter sandwich. In I can't. House. I can't. And it's tragic because, man, that dude loves me some peanut butter. So you come over here and have, have peanutty things. Yeah. 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 That's like, I, I don't drink or smoke or anything. I just sneak out and have peanut butter. Oh, jeez. You do what you gotta do, Mike. Exactly. Alright, we do have some a PayPal. <gasps> uh, PayPal-y kind of stuff going on PayPalians? Here. PayPalians. What's this? Bonetario sending more money. Like, how many times do we have to say your name? It's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Monet. Monet. And as far as names go, it's a bloody fantastic name. Yeah, it is a very French name. Hey, Mon ami. Oh. Yes. I don't know what that means. But it's I think fun. it's amazing me because she is our friend. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Monet. 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 And, whoa. Whoa. Somebody named Mamiwi Gibishwin okay. sent us a really big donation. Holy crappers. Well, the biggest one we've got. It's it's Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very, wow. very much, Mamiwi. I'm very sorry I have slaughtered your name. Uh-huh. But it looks like um, a culture that I'm not exactly familiar with. Well, that'd be most of them. Yeah, right. Other than Irish. <laughs> if it's not Irish or Dutch or German, I don't know. You're done. I'm done, so. Wow, uh, thank you for this donation. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much. Seriously. Yeah, so you're like a, a triple PM. Yeah. This week. Try em. Yeah, so wow. we appreciate that a, a great deal. We really do. We really do. We really do. Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so by uh, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or, for one-time support, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever else you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Uh, our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram, just search for Dark Poutine. Come on to the Yumber Yard. We're over 5,000 there. Lots of Yumber. Yes, absolutely. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Hell yeah. And interestingly, I had a meeting this past week with the 
podcast festival here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and they want us to do some headlining there. Sweet sassy molasses. So I that mean. will mean mm-hmm. that you will be able to come on out and support Scott and I at a live show, <sighs> perhaps at the Rio Theater. This, this is mind blowing. Right? It's mind-blowing. It's almost kind of like a... We get to be like, like Spike and Mike. It's, it's kind of like a dream come true in, in, in many regards. Right? Like, whoa. So geez. I have to get to designing this live show for us. Plus, there's lots more coming. I can't reveal details yet. However, there are some really big shows. Really big Really big shoes. Really big shoes. Really big shoes. That uh, you will probably have heard of, and they are not all necessarily Canadian. So... Holy crap. Yeah, it's going to be a great podcast festival this year. I'm super looking forward to it. Like, we had a great time last year. We got to meet Navara. And, yeah. And uh, I got to do a couple of panels. So I guess we'll be doing that. We Sweet. might be doing an uh, event that is outside of that as well at the same time for our local Yumber Yard and uh, Dark gonna, Poutine listeners. It's going to so be a busy week. It is going to be a busy week. It will be taking place between October 7th and 10th. Sweet. So clear your schedule for that. Yes, clear it now. I'll clear it for you. There you go. Until next week, which will be an away game before we take a week off. Because I'm taking a week off. I need a week off. Yeah, take a week off. Yeah. Away game, Scott. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting one. Let's travel to it. Yeah, we're going to. We're going to. Hop in a, probably a time machine. A time machine. And probably like a jet. A, a, a Learjet? Well, or a know. propeller. Could be some jalopy. Jalopy. It's a biplane. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. It's our crop dusting <laughs> friend. <laughs> I'll, I'll man the back. Yeah, with the farts. Exactly. So until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.